Luke chapter 24. So go there. And just to backtrack really quick and fill it into where we're at. So when I say backtrack, we're backtracking way back. So we've been doing the story of God, and we started all the way at the beginning. We started actually before creation, like where was God before the earth? We talked about that. Who was God before creation? And then we talked about how God created the earth, and he created everything that was on it. He created Adam and Eve, and he made them perfect. Um, but Adam and Eve chose their own kingdom instead, the same thing that we do all the time. Uh, God, we appreciate what you've given us. Now we're going to use it for us, not for you. And uh, as a result of their choices, sin entered the world, and with sin came death. God told them that would happen. They chose it anyway. Death became the story of creation. Uh, but God made a promise to Eve in the garden. The very moment that all of this happened, God made a, a promise to Eve that a child from her own body, a seed of the woman, a child from this woman would one day come that would make things right, that would restore, that would heal. And the whole Bible is the story of that person looking for that seed. God, what are you going to do? How are you going to make this right? And... That seed then begins to go as Adam and Eve have children and more children and more children. We're skipping through fast. You can go back and read it. Cool story is you have the Bible. So it's all your Bible. But that seed goes through different children down the line. It comes to a point where uh, God is so frustrated with the world and the creation and sin has grown to the point that he destroys it with a flood. But he keeps the seed alive through who? Noah, right, Noah and Noah's family, and they come uh, through the flood, and on the other side, they begin to have children, and the seed begins to spread again, and then God sets his eye on one particular person, who? Abraham, yeah, and Abraham has uh, children, Abraham has Isaac, and Abraham has Jacob, and Jacob's name is changed to Israel, exactly, and Israel then has 12 sons, and those sons begin to have children, and more children, and more children, and more children, and each one of those 12 sons be, kind of becomes a tribe themselves, like they've got their own huge family, and before long, you have this combination of these 12 tribes that have become a nation of people, uh, but they find themselves enslaved in Egypt, and God makes a promise to them, though, they are enslaved, that he's going to deliver them, and who does he send? Moses, right? And he sends Moses to go uh, deliver the people of God from bondage in Egypt. All of that is the first book of the Bible up to maybe the first or second chapter of the second book. All of that. And then God brings them out and delivers them across a sea that splits, right? And brings them into the desert. And he brings them to a mountain where he comes down and, and he speaks to them and he gives them what? Yeah, Ten Commandments, he gives them the law, the whole law, which is a, a a bunch. He gives them the law, right, 613 total commandments. But he tells them how to govern themselves as a nation, how to love him, how to obey him, how to follow him. Uh, and then he leads them to this land that's going to be theirs. Uh, ultimately, he gives it to them. He moves them into that piece of land that's, that's theirs that he'd promised to Abraham. But when they get there, they begin to start sinning again and to do the same kind of behavior that man has always done over and over again. And so God raises up these people called judges. And these judges deliver them from their uh, enemies and set them back on the path of following God, but then they go right back to it again. And then these judges come along, and they deliver them again, and then they go right back to it again. And this cycle just rolls on and on and on, just like it does in our lives, (laughs) on and on. And then God raises up kings for them, 
and they have kings. They have uh, Saul, and then they have David, and then they have Solomon. And after Solomon, their kingdom splits. They break into a civil war. You're getting a fast story. That's okay. They break into a civil war, and the kingdom splits. And you have the northern ten tribes, which are known as Israel, and the southern two tribes, which are known as Judah. And in that state of split, Assyria, 722 B.C., for all you history people, you can look it up yourself, it happened. Assyria comes and conquers the northern kingdom and destroys all ten of those tribes and scatters them everywhere. So now we're down to two, and they're living in Jerusalem, just where Jerusalem is. And in 586 B.C., history, you can look it up, 586 B.C., Babylon comes along and destroys the southern two and takes them captive for 70 years. Israel is left in this land, is left in a waste, and the people of Israel are scattered everywhere. But God made a promise to Eve. So we know the seed's out there somewhere, right? And so after 70 years in in bondage in Babylon, God brings them back. Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they were all during that time period, but God brings them back. And they come back after 70 years, and you'd think they'd be straight, right? Nope. Go right back to the same sin again. Taking God for granted. Right back to the same sin again. And so God goes silent for 400 years. And that's where your Old Testament ends. The Old Testament ends, God is silent for 400 years. And then after 400 years, there's a star in the sky that doesn't belong there. There's a unique star that's hung over this little bitty town in the land of Israel called Bethlehem. And all of a sudden, this promise that was promised to this woman, Eve, is now being fulfilled to this woman, Mary. You're going to conceive from the Holy Spirit. You're going to have a child like in a supernatural way. You're going to have a child and Jesus is born. The seed promised to, to Eve is born and he lives his whole life. We've talked about this. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they all tell of his life. He lives this person that we've been looking for since Genesis. Now, four books dedicated to his life and what he did and who he was. In his life, he does all these miracles. He does amazing things. He tells you the kingdom of God is here. He's here. He tells you who he is, but ultimately he faces crucifixion. And he's crucified, and he's buried in a grave, and that's as far as we've gotten. So what happens? I think we all know. Today, alive again. Alive again. Um... Molly and I, or Molly about a year, I don't know how long ago it was now, about a year ago, I stopped short of showing you all this video because I didn't have a shirt on. I was like, that's probably not appropriate. But uh, but um, about a year ago, Molly and I were watching a movie on a random Tuesday. I don't even know what night of the week it was. And Molly got up and said at like 10 o'clock at night, we did pause that a minute. I got to run to the grocery store. And I was like, what? Like, it's like 10 o'clock. I can wait till tomorrow. She's like, no, they're going to close. I got to get it. I need to get this, you know. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? And, uh, but she was dead serious. She was up putting her shoes on. Like, she's heading out the door. I was like, well, I guess when you got to do it, you got to do it. I don't know. So I paused the movie. And she takes off out the door. And, I mean, like all of us, we live in a city. There's a grocery store on every corner. So I'm figuring it ain't going to take long. So she's gone. 
and I don't know what I did. I started doing some other stuff or whatever. And then I, I'm in the back bedroom, and I hear her pull back up. And she says, uh, hey, come here and help me get this stuff in or something like that. Shouts it. I hear her shouting it. And I'm like, all right, I'll be there in a second. And she's like, hurry up. She's like, i got to show you what they had on sale. And I come walking out of the bedroom, and she's standing there holding our grandbaby who lives in Tennessee and was less than a year old, you know. And I'm like, and in the, they have video of it because they set me up. My, my, my daughter came with my grandbaby. So they set it up. So I, I'm standing there in the video, and I come around the corner because I remember, and Molly's standing there holding a baby. And I'm like, I'm not even registering who the baby is. Like, I remember that, I remember the feeling I had of like, I'm hallucinating right now. Like, I know I did drugs a long time ago, but like right now, I'm hallucinating. Like, this is crazy. I know flashbacks, but this is, this don't make any sense. My, my wife has a baby. And I'm like, I literally remember thinking, wait a minute, I know that baby. Like, I recognize that baby. And I have my hands over my face like this. And then my daughter is over here beside me, but I don't see her. Because I'm looking right at Molly and, why are you holding a baby? And then I see my daughter, like my eyes go sideways in the video. Like I see her, but I don't want to turn my head because I'm freaking out. Uh, and then as soon as I saw her, I knew it was real. Like I was like, this is real. Like y'all are really here. It was the greatest setup of my life. It was awesome. Salem, my daughter, my grandbaby was there. Sarah, my daughter was there. It was, it was amazing. But in the moment, I couldn't believe it. And that's kind of the point today. Um, and if you got a sheet there, it's on there. If not, it doesn't, it's, it's fine. This is not scripture. This is just me putting a flag in the ground so we can follow it. And it's this realizing that Jesus is alive should fill our heart with overflowing hope and joy so that we can't help but share that. Like we just want to tell people, man, he's alive. So let's look what's happened. I already went back over it. But remember, there was a stone rolled over the grave, and it was sealed. So it probably had ropes and straps over it. At the very least, it was the seal meant that the governor, Pilate, would have put a wax or something on it and stamped it, meaning that it had his seal on it. So the only person that was authorized to open that per penalty of death was him. That's that's what it meant to have it sealed like that. He had put two guards out there, too. So I know we're in Luke, and that's fine. This will be up. But Matthew, I'm going to give you a couple of the others. Remember, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all telling the same story. We're looking at Luke's story. But here I'll put Matthew 28, verse 1. says, after the Sabbath, so the Sabbath was over Saturday, sundown Friday, sundown Saturday. So he died on Friday. After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week. For us, that would be Sunday. So Towards Sunday, uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. It's easy to just read over that. Pause a minute. Great earthquake. What did that feel like? I don't know. But just understand that's not a quick read. Just get it in your head. And then an angel of the Lord, or it says, because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. So the earthquake didn't move the stone. It's because an angel came to do this, it caused the earth to shake. That is awesome. Rolls back the stone and sits there. His appearance was like lightning. His clothing was white as snow. Just means it was blinding. The actual language, when it says like lightning, have you ever seen a chrome bumper on a car when the sun catches it right 
or you're behind that guy on the road and the sun's shining right into the chrome bumper and you're just like, that's the, that's the picture. That's what it means. This guy looked like staring at that. All right. And it says, for fear of him, the guards trembled. It literally, that word trembled is the same word as the earthquake. The same way the earth shook, these dudes shook at seeing this. All right. And then it says, they became like dead men. What does that mean? You know what I mean? They passed out or went rigid and paralyzed, whatever. Verse 5, absolute, total, complete fear. Verse 5, the angel says to the women, so the women approach sometime shortly after that. He says, do not be afraid. I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He was killed, but he's not here. He's risen. I love the next three words. As he said. He did just what he said he was going to do. Come and look. Look, here's where he was laying. Now go quickly and tell. Come and see, then go and tell. Man, I love that. That's a perfect way to put the evangelism. Come and see, and then go and tell. His disciples that he's risen from the dead. Verse 8 goes on to say, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. One little side notable point here, by the way. The two greatest moments in all of human history are based on the testimony of women. How cool is that? People think about the Bible being this masculine book. It's it's the two greatest moments in all of human history. The birth of the Messiah, Mary testimony, and now the resurrection. The first people to see it and say anything about it is a handful of women. Same thing. Uh, and the coolest part is God ordained it that way. That's not just the way it happened. That's the way he planned for it to happen. But consider what's being testified to here. Resurrection. Somebody who was beyond dead, butchered, is alive. Like alive. He didn't escape death. He conquered it. That's what they're, that's what he, that's what they're saying. Nobody brought him back. He didn't get rescued from death. They're saying he beat it. That's a huge deal. Nobody's, you know, got the electrodes on his chest shocking him and crying and hitting his chest. Come back, come back. None of that. No, he beat it. It's impossible, really, isn't it? It's impossible. And I love all the brilliant attempts by brilliant people to explain it. Because it's so witnessed in history that it can't be ignored. And the fact that so many people 2,000 years later are still putting their entire life on the reality that it occurred, that you just got to explain it. You can't just say it didn't happen. Something happened. So they say, well, there's a swoon theory that says he passed out. He, he wasn't actually dead. He just passed out on the cross. And they buried him before he really died. Well, that's a pretty story. That means you don't understand crucifixion real well. Uh, it also means that you, in your mind, believe somehow he survived for three days in that grave after the beating that he took from Rome and the nails and the stabbing and everything else. And then just what? Push the stone out of the way and walked out. It's ridiculous. Some say Jesus had a twin. That one's also funny to me. Presumably the dude just hid. His whole life, so nobody knew for all of Jesus' 33 years that he actually had a twin out there. And then this twin shows up on crucifixion day and says, hey, nail me instead, or nail him. And then they're going to pull off a lie for what? I mean, that's ridiculous. 
Group hallucination, that one's really funny, too, because anybody who's in the science world knows there's no such thing as a group hallucination. Hallucinations come from within your own mind. can't have a group hallucinate the same thing. It comes from within individuals. They say they went to the wrong tomb. That one's really funny, too. Could nobody point them to the one where the uh, two soldiers are standing? You know, that would have been an easy fix if that were true. The more common one, and probably the one that's most passed around, is that the body was stolen. And that was anticipated. The Bible actually tells you, I'm not going to read it, but you can look in several of the Gospels, that, in particularly Matthew, they were anticipating that he was going to steal the body. That's why there were soldiers there. That's why it was sealed. No other grave was sealed with soldiers. The reason for that was because they were anticipating somebody was going to try to steal the body. But besides the impossibility of that, who's going to steal it? The disciples? These disciples were terrified. They were hiding in an upper room. Their leader, who is supposed to be God, and is, but is suddenly been butchered on a cross and is dead. You really think these hidden, terrified men are going to suddenly now rise up and challenge Rome and overthrow two soldiers and rip open a grave and steal a body and fabricate a whole lie that will guarantee their deaths. What For what? And ultimately, they did all die. They did all die. They were all martyrs. Some say John wasn't. John was. They all died for their faith. They all died for their faith in what they saw and what happened. So some say, well, okay, they did see him, but it was a ghost. Um, And the irony of that one is, how does that make it any better? That still requires faith. You're believing in a ghost. Now, you're still believing in something. But the entire point Jesus is making here is displaying that his body, his body was present. Look at my hands. He had his body. He was alive. Even the tomb displayed that fact. John 20, verse 6, and we'll come into Luke in just a minute. John 20, verse 6 says, Simon came, or Peter came running into the tomb, following John. He goes in and he saw the linen cloths, the, 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 like the, they wrap them like a mummy, right? Those cloths are laying there. And the face cloth, the one that went over his face, which Jesus, which had been on Jesus' head, it wasn't lying with the linen cloth, but it was folded up by itself. That seems weird, right? That seems weird, right? The, the point is that these cloths were removed physically. They were taken off and left laying there. And this faith cloth, face cloth was folded up. It means it's very clear that he awakened took it off, folded it up, and said, somebody did, and set it there and walked away. Didn't need it anymore. Not just spiritually, physically, folded this stuff up and left it sitting there. It also shows who his identity is now. His identity is being fully revealed. His face is no longer covered. Doesn't need that anymore. We all know he's God now because only God can do that. Uh, MacArthur, a uh, 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 commentary, noted this. He said, as another point of interest here, he said, the state of those, these folded and placed items, indicates there was no struggle, no hurried unwrapping of the body by grave robbers. 
who wouldn't unwrap a body anyway, since transporting it somewhere else would be easier and more pleasant if it was left wrapped and in spiced condition because they put spices around it. So, yeah, why if they stole the body, why would you unwrap it and lay that and then fold the headpiece up? I mean, you just grab it and go, right? But here's the deal. And this is what brings us to where we're heading today. And, I, and we don't have much longer. I'm going to finish up kind of quick. But it's not facts that should cause us to respond. It's not arguments. It's not logical deduction and evidence. It's not apologetic persuasion like, can I convince you? Those things shouldn't cause you to respond. It's what grabs your heart that should cause you to respond. Your heart should be like blown away with emotion by this. Like tears of joy, but also like some kind of shiver from awe here. Like overcome with happiness but also like a sense of fear and knowing that the impossible has truly occurred. If that's so, who does that make Jesus out to be? If that happened, who is he? You know, being in like disbelief, but also wanting to shout his name to people like he's he's alive, smiling Like ear to ear, but can't possibly explain why. That's what that's what seeing an empty grave should be doing. And that's what compels us to believe. That's what compels us to tell other people. A heart like that's moved and changed. That's what changes hearts. You know what I'm saying? The women leaving the empty tomb, they said, and I already read it in Matthew 28, 8. They said they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. How can you have both? I think we all know. Fear and great joy. Mark 16, Mark, Mark, the, uh, another uh, gospel writer telling the same account, but he uses slightly different words because he's a different person. In verse 8, he says, they went out and they fled from the tomb. They were trembling and, uh, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. Trembling and astonishment. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Doesn't mean they, they, they were told to go tell the disciples they did. What that means is they didn't stop anywhere on the way to talk about it. They were so shook. They just went straight to the disciples, moved by this whole thing. Y'all know what that feels like? Have you ever been speechless? Like literally without the words to say? So in awe, you're not really sure how to respond? I know some of you are younger, but I remember 9-11. I remember when those buildings came down and all the shock and all that stuff. But it was the firefighters like days later digging through rubble and finding somebody alive. And pulling them out. Feeling like I couldn't breathe. I'm watching it on TV, but I feel like I can't breathe looking at this. You know, like I'm so moved by awe in the moment. Like I'm overwhelmed with joy, but I'm also horrified. They've been underneath this pile of rock and steel and whatever else. And in the dark. Without food and without water. And yet somehow they're alive. And I, I, I didn't know, I don't even know these people. But I didn't have the words to say. I was so moved by it. And this Jesus is fully dead. 
100% beaten to death, nailed to a cross, stabbed in his side, 100% fully dead. And now these are people who loved him most that are seeing him, and they don't know what to say. Like, they don't know what to say. So look at Luke 24, and we'll lay into it real quick. Just a few minutes. We're almost done. Verse 36 says, uh, the disciples now, shortly after that, same day, they're talking about these things. What Peter and John have seen, this open grave, what these women have told them. And then Jesus is standing there right with them. And he says, peace to you. (laughs) I mean, Jesus is so cool. Like, they're freaking out, and Jesus is just standing there literally saying, Sup, you know, how you guys doing? (laughs) You know, it's really calm. It's not something super religious-wise. It's just a simple peace to you. How you guys, that's how we'd say it in our time. It would be, you know, how y'all doing? Or that's how they say it in the South, how y'all doing. I don't know how you say it here. Verse 37. But they were startled, and they were frightened, and thought they saw a spirit or a ghost. So they think he's a ghost? And he says, why are you freaking out? That's what troubled means. Why are you freaking out? Why are doubts arising in your heart? Why are you freaking out and why are you doubting? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. What's he showing them? Nails, right? Nails. If he was a ghost, they'd be gone. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Literally says this. It's I myself. It's me. Touch me. And see, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Come here and give me a hug, guys. We're brothers. Like, come here, hug me. It's me. He's not bleeding out everywhere, but he's got the scars, right? I'm alive. It's really me. Not a ghost. It's me. I'm here. I have the body. It's me. And when he said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And I love this line. While they still disbelieved for joy. What an awesome statement. Disbelieved for joy. I'm so happy right now. I can't believe my eyes. That was the way I felt when that little baby was in Molly's arms in front of my face. I was so happy that I could not believe that this is reality. Like they disbelieve for joy and they're marveling like it is you. And he said to him, have you anything to eat? Do you think he was hungry? Maybe, I don't know. Been at least three days. <laughs> Why do you think he wanted food? He's showing them, I have a real body. It's going to consume food. It is a function. I'm the same one that died. This is huge, guys, because if Jesus didn't come back and take his body, he didn't defeat death. He's just on the other side of it appearing to us. But if he came back and he took the same body back and it still functions the way it did before by eating and digestion, he's alive. He is alive. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them, literally saying, come here, man. I know y'all freaking out. I know this. Bring me that fish. Bring me fish here. You know. I am, it's me, guys. It's me. For me, it would have been bring me some crawfish or shrimp. You know what I'm saying? Whatever. Bring me something. I'll show you. You know, I hope we never forget the resurrection, guys, in that way. 
being beyond comprehension. Like it's something that should always bring us fear and joy. It's something that, you know, we experience moments where we disbelieve for joy. Like I can't really believe he's alive. It's mind-blowing. And here's the test. Are you more filled with joy that you get to escape death? Or are you more filled with joy that, man, I get to be with him? He's alive. And if that's where you get, if you can get to that place, then I'm telling you, sharing the gospel gets easy. Real easy. Because now your heart's just full and you can't help but talk about it. You're like, man, I can't explain to you how amazing this is. He's really alive. You don't need a tool to help you be an evangelist. All of a sudden now you need somebody to help you calm down. Because it's amazing how awesome he is. Maybe you need to go back to the grave, guys. Maybe you need to sit at home, take a little bit of time, or go up on a mountain around here somewhere. I know it's hot right now. But find you a spot and just get alone with God and put yourself at the grave a minute. Picture it in your mind. Stand there a second and imagine what it must have felt like. Sit there a while. Allow yourself to be shocked for a second. Try to explain it. Spend a few minutes and try to talk yourself into a good explanation that makes sense. And when you can't come to one, what's going on? Be in awe. Smile if you need to. Laugh if you need to. Cry if you need to. And then realize that the only reason for that empty grave is you. You think he needed to do that? Think God needed to deal with death? He did that because he promised your great, great, great to the hundredth power grandparents. He told Eve, I'm going to fix this. And he did it for you. Like he did it for you. He did it for you. Let me close this really quick. Look at verse 44. I'm just going to read. We're not just read through this really quick. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you. Jesus is telling them while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms translation in the Old Testament. Did you know Jesus is in the Old Testament? Jesus said the whole Old Testament is about me. All of it. It had to be fulfilled this way. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. We'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, but Jesus gives you a Holy Spirit when you put your faith in him, the Holy Spirit himself, that helps you understand. And he said to them, thus it's written that the Messiah, Christ, should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem, and you, disciples, are witnesses of these things. You guys are the ones that see it. Remember these same terrified disciples? By Acts chapter 17, verse 6, they're dragged by a mob. These same disciples, Jason is one of them, are dragged by a mob in Greece or in Thessalonica. And the mob is shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Same guys. I pray that that's who we become. That when we know that he's alive, that we become people that turn the world upside down. 
Because we know he's alive. We know he is. Nobody's got to teach us this. So I could obviously do a long sermon on the resurrection, but I'm not going to do that because today we actually have a God-designed illustration that's way better than the best sermon I could preach on it, and that's baptism. Um, It is a clear picture of resurrection, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Also, kind of a side note that's glorious, it's five years to the day since Molly and I moved here to start this church. So it's kind of a cool anniversary for this to be happening on this day. So I'm going to let those who are going to be baptized, we got a couple if you want to go change, and I'm going to ask everybody else to stand up with me. Uh, and I'm going to explain what's up here in just a second. But if you all all stand, and John's going to come back up here, we're going to do one more song, and then I'll walk us through what's next. Um, but let me tell you this as we're, as we're transitioning a little bit. The cross, listen, the cross, we wear them on our necks. You know, we got them on our, I got a tattoo on one. I mean, the cross is huge. The cross is so important. The cross is central to our faith. And without the cross, we have no forgiveness of sin. There is no doubt. Without the cross, there's no forgiveness of sin. But if the story ends with the cross, we don't have any hope. Everybody hung on a cross died. Jesus had two criminals One on each side, both on crosses, both died. Jesus dying on a cross, if that's where it stopped, that that hasn't, we're in sad shape, y'all. We're in sad shape. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile, you're still in your sin, then those also who have died in Christ, they perish, they're gone. If in Christ we have hope, In this life only, we of all people are the most to be pitied. But, in fact, he has been raised from the dead, Paul said. You guys can close your eyes with me and let's let's focus a second. Focus a second. Not being dramatic. Not being dramatic. Just focus a second. Jesus is alive, y'all. The grave is empty. He's alive again. And everybody's going to know that one day. I can guarantee you. But today you got a choice. You can know him as a savior now. Or you can know him as a judge later. And I ain't being heavy. I'm just telling you what his word says. In fact, it's good news can know him as a savior otherwise you're going to stand there one day and try to convince him that you're not that bad that your good outweighs your bad that you've done enough good things that that your bad things are not as bad as your good things are good and you're going to hope that you got a persuasive argument to convince a perfect god that you belong in a perfect place or today you can say i know i'm not perfect I know I'm never going to be perfect. I know I'm never going to live up to that. And I know Christ was. I know that the cross was for me. I know that the grave was for me. And I know that Jesus, you are good enough. And what your work did was good enough for me. And you put your faith in him and you call him Lord. 
You give your life to him and you let him be the boss. You let him fill your soul and your spirit and give you life and guide your steps and give you hope to know that the the grave can't hold you. Eternal death, none of it can hold you. You have eternal life because the author of life is within you. That's what the gift is now. And I pray you guys, in whatever words you choose, you tell them that today. And then tell us, as we want to celebrate with you. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being in your word for a little while today. Thank you for the opportunity ahead of us uh, in the next few minutes. And we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.